Parshas Vayeshev. Vayave Yosef et dibatam ra'a et avihem. And Yosef brought the evil report about his brothers to their father, Vayeshev. That's one of the first things we learn in the Torah about Yosef Atzadik, that he was always telling on his brothers. Now the brothers were good brothers, no question about that. But you know that nobody is perfect. Every human being sometimes does or says something wrong. And Yosef didn't overlook anything. The truth is that I don't even know if all of the things that Yosef said were factual. It could be he made mistakes. It could be it looked like they were doing something that wasn't so proper and he suspected them too quickly. Could be. I can't tell you all the details. But what we do know is that he, is that he did not hesitate. He ran and told his father everything. Parshas Vayeshev is a remarkable story of a young man who was a Kanai, a zealot for the Dvar Hashem, who couldn't tolerate any improper conduct. And that means that whenever Yosef saw his brothers do anything that seemed to be improper, anything that needed improving, he didn't say, it's none of my business. No, he was a Kanai. And he brought it to his father's attention. A Kanai is someone who loves Hashem so much that he cannot remain silent when he sees something being done against his will. The Mesilis Yishadim in Perek 19 says that. When he speaks about the subject of Ahavas Hashem, the mitzvah and the attitude of loving Hashem, he declares that one of the vital branches of this Avoidah is to be a Kanai, to be a zealot for Hashem. It's like a man who hears someone who is speaking unpleasant words about his own father. You know, if you want to make trouble for yourself, a quick way to do that is to criticize a man's father. It's a sure way to upset him because he's loyal to his father and therefore he can't countenance people who speak against him or violate his will. He loves his father too much for that and therefore it bothers him very much. He becomes insulted, even incensed. And so, as we speak tonight, it's important to keep in mind this definition of kanaus that the Mesil Zishodim teaches us. A kanai is somebody whom it hurts to see anything that contradicts the will of Hashem. And he is therefore, and he, and he therefore acts with zeal and enthusiasm to defend the honor of Hashem. He speaks up to oppose the enemies of the Torah and to fight back against all the falsifiers. And that's what the Torah is telling us here about Yosef HaTzadik. It's not what you learned in the Cheder. Yosef wasn't just a little boy who was slandering his brothers. He was an Ohev Hashem and someone who loves Hashem will stand up for him no matter what. If you truly love Hashem, then you just can't tolerate anyone who is an enemy of Hashem. Not only that you can't tolerate the atheists, that's certain, but you can't tolerate any infraction of the words of Hashem. And you can't stand people doing what's wrong because the one you love most, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, doesn't want it. And so when we study the story of Yosef, we understand that it's not just a saga of careless of a careless boy. It's a case of a Kanai, a young man so in love with Hashem that he is willing to risk his life 
for the truth. Because you understand right away that Yosef's zeal did not gain him any favor with his brothers. He was making a lot of trouble for himself when he did these things. And he understood very well there were going to be some dangerous results. Actually, we see that he almost lost his life as a result. The brothers wanted to get rid of him because of that. Let's kill him, said the brothers, and throw his body into one of the pits in the wilderness. Now don't think the Shvatim weren't people of great virtue. The brothers were good boys, very good boys. But when they saw a young man, especially a younger brother who was so bold as to report, as to report faults to their father, they considered him a troublemaker, an upstart who was trying to gain favor with his father at their expense. Who knows what will happen someday? Before you know it, he'll be dreaming that he's the boss over us and we'll be bowing down to him. He's, da- he's dangerous and has to be stopped. Nevertheless, Yosef didn't hold back and he continued to bring Dibatem Ra'a et Avihem. He did what was commanded by his conscience because he was full of zeal. And so if something was wrong in his eyes, he went and told his father. That was Kanaos. And when Yaakov Avinu saw that this son was defending the truth, that he was taking up for righteousness, so he loved him more than the other sons. Just because of that, the father saw that this son was a Kanai, who was eager to uphold the truth of Hashem. And he made for him a special garment, a royal garment to show that this is the one who has the authority in the family. The younger brother should be given the privilege to wear a conspicuous garment of authority? Yes, if he's the one who will take up for the covered Shemayim, said Yaakov, then his words should be listened to. And therefore, I'll make him outstanding among his brothers by means of the Ketonis Pasim. People should know that Yosef is a man whose opinion carries weight. The one who speaks up for what's right and criticizes what's wrong. That man is defending the Devar Hashem. And he's the one who should be clothed in a special garment of authority. A man like that, said Yaakov, who tells the truth and sees and sees to it that people should behave properly according to the Ratzon Hashem. I want that man to be the leader. Now, if you follow the career of Yosef, you'll see that it wasn't only his father who favored him. HaKadosh Baruch Hu himself gave great authority to Yosef because of this quality of being a zealous defender of the Torah ideals. What did HaKadosh Baruch Hu say when he saw that Yosef was zealous for the Dvar Hashem? Now, I wasn't there at that time to hear, but I, command, I, could, I could imagine what he said. If you're that kind of man who will take up for me, then I'm going to make you a man of authority over your people. The time will come when everybody will be afraid of you, and you'll be able to say whatever you want. It's a principle in the Han Haga of HaKadosh Baruch In this world that the Kanaim who are energetic in the defense of Hashem and His Torah, are promoted to greatness. That's what the Gemara says. Kol adam sheyesh bo yiras shamayim devarav nishmaim. Anyone that has yiras shamayim, his words are heard. They're obeyed. Gemara brachas. 
the Kanaim for the truth. They're the ones whom the world should listen. And therefore, HaKadosh Baruch Hu elevates them in order to give more power to their efforts so that the zealot should have an effect on the people. When a person fears HaKadosh Baruch Hu, so he puts a chen upon his words in order that they should be accepted. Gemara Sukkah. Now you understand what Yosef's dreams meant. When Yosef said, I saw in my dream that your bundles were bowing down to my bundles, it was a remez min hashamayim that someday he would gain authority as the leader. It was a portent of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu desired, that everyone in the family should look up to Yosef the Kanai as the authority. He was the one, he was one of the youngest, but because of his eagerness to uphold righteousness in the family and his inability to rest when he saw something wrong, that's why Hashem wanted the brothers should bow down to him. And that's why when the brothers finally came down to Mitzrayim, what did they discover? They found a decree, a royal edict from Paro that was posted on the walls everywhere. In this country, nobody can even raise their hand or their foot without permission permission from Yosef. Bracious. And when the brothers saw that, they were afraid. It wasn't Yosela, our little brother, anymore. It was Yosef, the regent king, the Tzofnas Paniyach. And they knew he was the kind of person who wouldn't stand for any avlas. They had experience with him already. If he saw anything wrong, he took action. And all that was only because it was because he didn't remain silent when he saw something wrong. When you'll read next week that Paro took off his ring and put it on Yosef's finger, you should remember that it was only because HaKadosh Baruch Hu saw that Yosef was someone who speaks up to defend the MS. All that power was given to him only because he was a Kanai, a man who took up for Hashem's words. And what did Yosef do with this power? He became the first and the greatest king that ever reigned among the Jewish people. There was no Melech who was as long in office as Yosef. He ruled over our nation for almost 80 years. The whole Klal Yisrael was in Mitzrayim. There were millions already. And they all obeyed one man. And that man was Yosef. And they were so afraid of him that every smallest thing that they did was according to his wishes as long as he was alive. Don't make any mistake about it. Those long years spent under Yosef's watchful eyes trained the people to be medactic, to be careful in the kutso shel yud, in the smallest thing. Because they knew Yosef would react. They knew he wouldn't tolerate any deviation from what's right. That's what, that was Yosef's motto. Et ha'elokim ani yareh. I fear Elohim. It means more than anything else that I'm afraid of in this world. I'm afraid of Hashem. And he meant it. And therefore, when the nation lived under Yosef, they were becoming prepared to live under the Torah that Hashem would later give. That's the real truth. 
The whole story of Yosef became the foundation of the history of the Am Yisrael. Because Hashem's nation can only survive if there are those who love Hashem enough to act with zeal and enthusiasm to defend his honor. Now when we go further in history, we find another person who became elevated. He and his children became great in our history because of their zealousness for the honor of Hashem. Everyone here knows that the story of Hanukkah was due only to the canals of Matisyahu. What happened? In the town of Modin, the Syrian Greeks came and built an altar, a Mizbeach for Avoidazorah. They wanted to bring an offering to their idol, and all of the Jews were told that they had to come and witness it. And because everyone was afraid for their lives, they came. They came and they kept quiet. Of course, they were angry. An idol in a Jewish town, they were boiling with indignation. But they, but they didn't do anything. They were afraid to open their mouths. But the Greeks weren't satisfied with just that. They wanted the Jew to step forward and, slaughtering the, and slaughter the offering to Avoidezorah. And so a Greek officer announced, Who among you will step forward to slaughter the offering to the idol? The Jews didn't move. Nobody budged. Although they were afraid of the Greeks, nobody stepped forward. And then one Jew stepped forward. One wicked, quizzling Jew broke ranks and he offered to slaughter the offering. Now when Matisyahu saw that, he couldn't stand still anymore. The fire of Canals ignited by his Avos Hashem, burst forth and he pulled out a sword from under his coat. He had prepared the sword for that purpose. And he rushed forward and ran the sword through the heart of the Mumar. And then he turned around and slew the Gentile officer. And he announced, we're in revolt. The die had been cast. Now in those days, it wasn't like today. Today, if you speak against the president, you're considered a hero. You don't have to be a zealot to speak against the president today. Every reckless liberal does it. Today, you can even make a riot against the president and get away with it. But in the days of Matisyahu, a revolt against the king meant you were giving away your life. And so Matisyahu ran away with his family to hide in the mountains. The rest of his life he spent in hiding, in the wilderness, coming out to fight off the Greeks, standing up for the Dvar Hashem. And he died that way. Hiding in the forests and living in the caves, Matisyahu died for Akadosh Baruch Hu. And it's because of him, because of the Midah of Kanaus, that the entire story of Hanukkah is celebrated by the Am Yisroel. Hashem made him and his family great forever and ever as, we, as a lesson to the Am Yisroel, to teach us what he desires from us. So we see so we should know that it's the Kanaim who find the most favor in the eyes of Hashem. Now it pays for us to study this important Midah of Kanaus because it's a, it's a subject that is misunderstood by many people. We quoted before from the Mesil Sisharim that Kanaus is an important branch of the Mitzvah Deoraisa of Ahavas Hashem, a Mitzvah that applies to everyone, men, women, and children. And that means that everyone has to learn how to be a Kanai. And so it pays for us to take a little time to study what it is that makes a person love Hashem so much 
that he becomes a Kanai. In the tefillah of Ahanisim, we say to Hashem the following words about our forefathers who fought the Yivanim. Ravta et ribam. You, Hashem, took up their quarrel. You fought their fight. Danta et dinam. You judged their judgment. It means that we are thanking Hashem. We are thanking Hashem for taking up for them and for helping them gain victories in their battles. But there's a big question here because actually it wasn't the quarrel of the Am Yisrael. The Am Yisrael weren't battling for themselves. You think anyone would have bothered Matis Yahu if he wouldn't have spoken up for Hashem? He and the Hashmonaim could have continued living happily if they had just kept quiet. Nobody wanted to persecute them. If they would have given up the observance of the Torah, nobody would have harmed them. After all, the Greeks weren't interested in killing Jews. They wanted the Jews to stop keeping the Torah. That's all. They were fighting against Hashem and against his Torah, not against the Jews. Why did the Hashmonaim spend years hiding in the caves and battling the Greeks? They were fighting for their lives? No. They were fighting to uphold your Torah, Hashem. Why were the battles, what were the battles about? They were battling for Hashem. So it wasn't Rav Ta'et Ribam. It was Ravta et Rivecha. Hashem, you, t- you took up for your own quarrel and you fought your fight. So why do we thank Hashem for helping us in our battle? And the answer to that question is really the foundation of what Kanaus is. Because what did Matis Yahu say? Did he believe that he was fighting only Hashem's fight? No. He said, it's my quarrel. Anything that's against Hashem is against me. The Hashmonaim loved Hashem so much that his ideals became their ideals. Hashem's fight is our fight. That's why it says, Ravta et ribam. You Hashem fought their fight because the Hashmonaim took up for the Torah like it was their own business. And that's why it says in the beginning of Tehillim, Ashrei ha'ish How fortunate is the man who doesn't walk in the ways of the Rishayim. Ki'im betoras Hashem chefzo. His desire, his delight, is only in the Torah Hashem. And then it goes on and says, Ubtorato yege And in his Torah he ponders by day and by night. First, it's called Torah Hashem, Hashem's Torah. And subsequently, it's called Torah To, His own Torah. So the Gemara Navoid says like this, when you learn Torah, so at first, it's the Torah Hashem. It's Hashem's business. When you hear what the Mishnah says, all right, the Mishnah is saying it. Of course, you're a firm Jew. So you'll study Hashem's words and you'll keep them too. Absolutely. But still, it's the Torah Hashem, only that you're good enough to keep his Torah. But then what happens? After a while, it begins to become Torah So, your own Torah. What does that mean, your Torah? It's like this. The more you think about Torah ideals and Torah attitudes, after a while, they become your own ideals and attitudes. After a while, when you put effort into creating a Torah mind, So you become so imbued, so saturated with Hashem's Torah that it becomes your Mishnah, your Torah. You want to carry it out. 
It's my Torah. That's what we learn in Pirkei Avos. Make the will of Hashem your will. Avos. It means, make Hashem's will that it should become your will. What Hashem wants, that's what you should want. So everybody says, certainly. Certainly I accept that. What's so great about that? The answer is, it's very great. If you can reach the Madrega that what Hashem wants is what you want, then you're already a very important personality. That's what Yishaya Hanavi said. They'll choose that which I, Hashem, desire. It doesn't say they'll do what I desire. It says they'll choose what I desire. Just because I, Hashem, desire it, they desire it. Ooh, Hashem said, these people consider my desire as their desire. Just because they know that I want the Torah to be observed, that's why they fight for it. Ooh, wah, that's my people. That's a tremendous achievement. Not only that we're doing Hashem's will, but it's our, it's our will. Ki hem chayenu. The Torah is our lifeblood. It's what we live for. And that's why we'll give our lives for the Torah. The Hashmonim weren't merely fighting for the Torah. It was Torasso. What Hashem wanted became what they wanted. And if that's the case, then Hashem said, So I'll give them miraculous victories. Rabim biyad mi'atim. A small band of people who weren't armed and weren't well trained were able to overcome a large standing army of a powerful monarch. Because Hashem said, the ones who take up for my honor, they're the one I'm going to honor. The Gemara Neruvin says, Kedera debei shutfei lachamima velakirira. A pot that belongs to partners. It's never hot and never cold. It's always lukewarm because each partner says, let the other one do it. It means that anything belonging to partners never has the full success. If it's yours and the partner's, so each one relies on his partner to do it. But when a man is a sole owner of that pot, so he sees to it that the pot should be boiling all the time. It's his pot, so it becomes his responsibility. Therefore, when a man becomes a kanai for the Devar Hashem, it's not a beishutfei. He doesn't shift off the responsibilities to others because now it's his own. You're not fighting for Torah Hashem, for an abstract ideal. You're fighting for your Torah. It's Ravta et Ribam. It becomes your own private business. Now that you have your own business and you are from Jew, so you try to do Hashem's business too. No, Hashem's business. That's your private business. Like Yosef Atzadik, he felt it was his business when he saw something wrong, when he saw his brothers acting improperly. It wasn't only the business of Hashem, it was his business. When Matisyahu saw the, that Mumar step up to slaughter, to slaughter the Avoy de Zorah, he felt that it was his private business that this weakling was trampling on. It's my fight. And what that means is that in this world, if you love Hashem, then you are supposed to have a big mouth. You must speak up. 
And even though you won't be so popular, people don't like those who make a fuss. But you can be sure that HaKadosh Baruch Hu does like you. Hashem loves the Kanaim because they love Him. The real Chachamim always speak up. I was present once at a certain gathering and Rav Yaakov Kamenetsky spoke up against Barilan University. Rav Yaakov knew that Barilan is a rotten place and that if it would close down, the world would be much better off. And so he spoke up. And even though he knew that there were present in the audience, big supporters of that place, he didn't hold back. One, mel- one wealthy man who was there, an important fellow, had the chutzpah to speak up and contradict Rabbi Yaakov. But he didn't budge. He didn't back down. He felt it was an important issue, so he opened his mouth. Rav Aaron Cutler Zetzal gained a number of enemies because he was outspoken. The old Satmar Rebbe also gained enemies because he spoke up for Akadosh Baruch Hu to shout out the truths. Require, require to shout out the truth requires not only conviction but it requires courage as well. There are a lot of people who believe in certain principles, but they don't want to put themselves out. They don't have the level of Ahavas Hashem needed to fight for these principles. Look. Sometimes it can be quite uncomfortable. People are not in the mood to expose themselves to the public abroprium. And yet, the Ohabe Hashem do it. But it's important to understand that the Kanas is not only for the Gedoyle. Every from Jew should be developing a love for Hashem, a love so strong that he or she feels a desire to stand up for the honor of Hashem. It's a pity that the Orthodox Hebrew is like dead lumber and doesn't do it. Everybody here should feel it's their duty that they must take action when public issues are concerned. You could be a yeshiva man or a chosid, a housewife or an old woman. It makes no difference. It's your Torah. Suppose each one of us felt that the Torah is his Torah, that the words of Hashem are his words. So we'd feel that it's our duty to stand up and say something. Everyone here should feel that it's his duty to write a letter to Mayor Koch to protest the to'eves that he wants to bring to New York City. The to'evas that he wants to bring to New York City. You don't have a big author. You don't have to be a big author, a poet, or a literary man to write letters. If you're a strong fellow, you can tell him off. Mayor Koch, we are disgusted with you. We're terribly sorry you were elected. If you're more of a soft fellow, so you can write one line, we are disappointed with you. We disagree with you. There are a lot of things to do. We have to write letters to the State Board of Education protesting against the filth and sheked they're teaching in the schools. They're spoiling the youth with the wickedness that they're promoting in the schools, and we have to speak up about that. And don't do it once. All it costs is 13 cents and a piece of stationery. Do it once, and then next week, write again. Make sure to write a few times. That's the least you can do. Letter writing should be a career of yours. It takes up less than 10 minutes a week. You people here, it's your job. You'll say, me? I'm a yeshiva man. What about it? 
A yeshiva man doesn't take time off to look in the newspaper. A yeshiva man wastes plenty of time. So sneak out and walk into the bathroom and write a short nasty letter to Mayor Koch. Leave out the base hey or the base samich dalit and write a letter saying you are against his policies that are destroying our city and paste on a 13 cent stamp. And you know you did something. At least something like Yosef HaTzadik and Matisyahu Chashmonai. You're doing. It doesn't mean you're a goy. Some people think you're a goy if you do things like that. They think that to be a real Jew means that you should have no interest in anything that takes place. Foolishness. You can write letters to Governor Carey. A big fool he is. A big snob. He just can't bear that there should be capital punishment restored to New York State. He can't bear it because those voters who come from criminal elements, they're against capital punishment, you know. So he can't bear to lose those votes. So you have to write letters to the governor telling him that you want to see the electric chair running again. 24 hours a day, it should be working. Write to your state senators, to the legislators, letting them know that you want capital punishment restored. By all means, you should do that. We have a petition sitting here on the bima, on the table. You should come here and sign it. Ladies also should sign these petitions. Write legibly and put your address and your phone number on it. Some people are lazy to even do that. It's the least you can do if you are from Jew. If you see something wrong in the city or in the state or even in the country, write. Write again and again. Every week, hammer away. They, can do, they can't do a thing to you. They can't put you in prison for that. Hammer away. Now we still have to talk about one more important aspect of this subject. And it's a point that you must understand well. Otherwise you might miss the subject entirely. What is the purpose of Kanaus? Is it to smash your enemy? Is it to destroy him? No. The purpose is that the word of Hashem should be upheld. That's the purpose of Kanaus. So suppose you can conquer your enemy by being mashpia on him, that he should become a from Jew. Take the reform rabbi, for example. A reform rabbi is your enemy. He, or maybe she, doesn't believe in the Torah. He doesn't even believe in Hashem. He believes in everything wicked. Rabbi Susan, Rabbi Nancy, it's as wicked as could be. Reform rabbis are very dirty people and they're influencing others to be wicked. So they are our, they are our enemies, no question about it. And therefore, if we could press a button and explode them, it seems to us that it would be the best thing to do. Press a button right now. Explode them. Over here, over there, a thousand explosions. Boom, boom, boom. But maybe there's a better way of being a knai. Maybe you can influence people. You can buy the right books and mail it to them. After all, they're ignorant people. They don't know anything. They never came into contact with real Torah ideals. There are a lot of inspiring things you can send them. Today, today there are so many good things written in English that might change them. Maybe you can get subscriptions to from Jewish newspapers, from Jewish magazines and send it to them. It'll cost you money, but every week they'd get it. They'd take a look at it. They probably won't ignore it altogether. It has some bit of hashba on them. 
They might change. Maybe that's a better way of kenos. We had a man in Arkehila who went and bought from 770 Eastern Parkway a stack of old copy of Talks and Tales. It's a children's from magazine and he sent it out to the entire neighborhood. Look at all these big apartment houses. There are so many ignorant Jews who live there. Even the Jewish press will be to them like a, fan, like a fanatic newspaper. So send talks and tales to these apartment houses. What does it cost you already? You never even tried it once. No, no, that's not a canai. Right away, you want to press a button and explode them? A real canai tries other ways first. If we would feel that it's our duty, that it's our, that it's our Torah we're defending, we'd be able to accomplish a lot. There's so much literature that's available. Why don't you adopt an apartment house? Adopt a big apartment house on Ocean Parkway or a big apartment house on Ocean Avenue. Say, this house is mine. This is my project. Find out who lives there. How do you find out? You can walk through the building writing down the names until the janitor throws you out. Give him $10 and he'll let you stay there for another hour. Or you can go into the real estate places and they, they have directories. House by house, apartment by apartment. I once did it to one apartment house. I had a name of everybody in the apartment house. Adopt it. Make it your project and send letters to them. Send printed information to them. If you can't afford it, if you can't afford it all at once, so do it little by little. There's a lot of work to be done. The true kanaos is when you try to spend, sp- spread Yiddishkeit in the world. A true kanai wants to make the name of Hashem great in this world. I saw from Jew with a big beard not long ago, a big Talmud Chacham handing out flyers on the street. The flyers were saying that HaKadosh Baruch Hu will help you if you try to be a real Jew. Other flyers showed how you can see Hashem all around you in nature. And he was telling arguments why you should be a Maimon. He wasn't slapping people in the face as they were passing by. He wasn't hitting people with a club. He was talking to ignorant people about HaKadosh Baruch Hu. There are so many ways that we could be kanaim. Print up flyers saying, don't shop on Shabbos, please. And hand them out every Wednesday. How much does that cost already? We did that in East Flatbush. Before we moved the shul here, we used to do that. In the tens of thousands, we distributed flyers about HaKadosh Baruch Hu, about Shabbos. We called it the Traditional Observance Organization. We had big propaganda coming out of our little shul. If you would hand out leaflets, send your child to a yeshiva instead of the public school. Nobody's going to haul off and hit you. They won't even insult you. Why can't you do that? I was watching Lubavitcher handing out leaflets on King's Highway near the subway. Most people ignored them. They disdained it. But if somebody was nice enough to take it, they ran after that man or woman and they started talking to them. They walked down the block talking to them. And the person was reluctantly listening over his shoulder while this Jew was pouring out his propaganda. Sometimes they got a customer who was willing to listen. That's the way to be. There are a lot of things to do for our fellow Jews. So now we're learning a new pshat in Kanaos. Kanaos means winning the battle for Hashem. And in general, if you have an enemy, 
The greatest victory you can have is if you win over him to you win over you win him over to your side. Instead of punching the enemy in the nose and making him fall down in a faint, if you can say a few kind words and win him over to you, then you are victorious. Like it says, Imraev Sonecha. If your enemy is hungry, lachem, feed him bread, vi'im sameh, and if he's thirsty, hashkehu mayim, give him water to drink, mishlei. Now is that the way to deal with an enemy? To give him bread and water? So the pasuk says, yes, you are shoveling burning hot coals on his head, mishlei. You hear that? That's a wonderful thing. If you can shovel burning hot coals on the head of your enemies, we have plenty of enemies. If we could take shovels of burning hot coals and put it on their heads, it would be tainug, a tainug gomer, a great pleasure. No question. But with, with our fellow Jews, there are other ways of doing it. Better ways. You can shovel, shovel hot coals of being nice to them and kindly to them and polite to them. Being mashpia on them. If you win them over, then that's shoveling hot coals on them. It means that's the biggest success you can have. The real success of a Kanai is if you can change your enemy and make him to be a friend of Hashem. And Ohev Toida. Now I know some Kanaim don't like that. They don't like that idea. They think, they think it's only Milchama. Making war is the only way. No, no, that's not a Kanai. It's just a hothead. Everyone knows the story of the great Kanai, Pinchas. Believe me. If Pinchas could have walked out to Zimri and said, Zimri, my boy, what are you doing to yourself? If he could have caressed him and said, Zimri, go back home, forget about it. Put the shiksa away and forget about it altogether. And Zimri would have listened to him. It would have been the best thing. Only the Pinchas knew that Zimri wouldn't listen to him. He was already fakot. He was, and so the only way to deal with Zimri was to jab a spear in his belly. That's the only way sometimes. But if he could have gotten into his mind, if he, have, if he could have influenced him, he would have been the very best thing. It would have been the very best thing. I'm sure he would have done it. Only that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created these circumstances to serve as a model for what you have to do sometimes when it's very unpopular. You have to defend his honor even when it's not easy to do so. But the true model of what HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants is Aaron HaKohen. I'm going to tell you a little secret. Aaron HaKohen was a bigger Kanai than Pinchas. Now Aaron HaKohen never killed anybody. Aaron HaKohen was Doirish Shalom. He spoke peace to everybody. He was Ohev at Habrius, um Karvan la Torah. He loved mankind and that's how he brought them closer to the Torah. He was a real Kanai. Pinchas was a very great man, no question about it. But Aaron Akain accomplished more than Pinchas. He took people in and he was Mekarvan la Torah. That's also a way to take up for Hashem. And so we begin to understand now that the function of being a Kanai is not merely to be angry and to tread down upon your enemies to destroy them. The function is so that the Devar Hashem should conquer the world 
And if you can cause the word of Hashem to be victorious by other means, then that's the true sign of a Kanai. Kanos is a way to greatness. That's why Yosef and Matisyahu became great in this world. And more importantly, how they became great in the eyes of Hashem. And that's one of the important ways that we too can find favor in His eyes. Kanos that comes from love of Hashem is a great perfection of character. Of course, it has to come from that, a love of Hashem. Sometimes people are kanaim, not because they love Hashem, but for their personal motivations. But when a person takes up for the honor of HaKadosh Baruch because they love HaKadosh Baruch and there are no lack of ways to do that, then that person has chosen a way of life that leads them to greatness in this world and to greatness in the world to come forever and ever. And now, a vort on the parsha from Rabbi Miller. V'Yisrael ahav et Yosef mikol banav ki ben zekunim hulo. And Yisrael loved Yosef more than all of his sons, all of his other sons, for he was a son of his old age. Yosef was born after Yaakov and Rachel had already been married to each other for many years. And then they had both despaired of ever having children together. It was only then, after years of hope and despair, that Yaakov finally had his first child with Rachel, a son of his old age. This was the plan of Hashem, as in many similar instances whereby he causes hope to be almost entirely lost, and only then does he demonstrate his hand in history by coming to the rescue. The fact that Yosef was Ben Zukunim, the, the one born to an elderly Yaakov, as a result of this great and unexpected deliverance by Hashem, helped Yaakov achieve an even stronger bitachon in the hand of Hashem in history. And that was something that Yaakov was always reminded of when he saw Yosef. And it played a role in causing Yaakov's especial love for his Ben Zukunim. The practice of tearing one's garment upon the death of a relative that is mentioned here is an example of many Torah procedures that were followed by our Avas long before the Chachamim made them, made them obligatory upon the Am Yisrael. But we should note the fact that this ritual of Kriya is declared to be a mitzvah drabonon, a rabbinical decree in our halacha corpus, despite the fact that this practice is here openly mentioned in the Torah. Had the Chachamim wanted to authentic, authenticate this practice as an original Torah law, a mitzvah deoraisa, they could have cited this word, verse an incontrovertible evidence of that fact. And yet, the Chachamim didn't do that. Because the status of all Jewish laws are based solely on the criterion of truthfulness. The national tradition, the Masorah declares the mitzvah of Kriya to be obligatory solely by rabbinical decree. And therefore, when reading this Pasuk, besides for all the other lessons that one may glean, it pays to remind ourselves that that one important lesson we learn is the eternal truthfulness of the words of Chazal in their transmission of our Mesorah. And it was after these matters of Yosef being imprisoned that the cupbearer and the baker of Paro sinned against him. 
after these matters would seem to be superfluous words if they refer merely to chronological order, because usually all the events of single narrative are narrated in their proper sequence. And so we'll understand as follows. After these matters, in quotes, means as a result of the foregoing Yosef's imprisonment, Hashem caused the following to happen because Yosef was lang- was languished, it was languishing in prison and needed to be rescued for the sake of the future of the Am Yisrael. Therefore, Hashem caused all of these events to happen in the palace of the king. HaKadosh Baruch Hu sent a fly on a mission right into the Becher of Paro, and he dropped a pebble into Paro's favorite pastry. And now the palace cupbearer and baker both found themselves in very hot water. Of course, Paro could have been lenient with his loyal court ministers, but Hashem had other plans, and he caused Paro to be furious and to imprison them in the same prison where Yosef was jailed. Of course, if we had been in the palace at this time, it would never occur to us that this big uproar had been concocted for the benefit of the obscure prisoner in the dungeon. It was just an errant fly who made a wrong turn and a pebble that squeezed its way through the sifter, and it was just it was, and it was just a power who woke up on the wrong side of the bed and became furious. So what of it? And therefore the Torah tells us that it was after these matters of Yosef's imprisonment that the story of the palace Fuhrer took place because they were directly related. It all happened just because Yosef was in prison. He is Hashem, our God, in all the earth are his judgments. To heal him, because he is our God. Therefore, whatever transpires in his world are his judgments on our behalf. Whatever transpires in the palaces of the Gentiles is being done by Hashem for his people. Hashem manipulated the palace dwellers in order to elevate Yosef and thereby prepare the children of Yaakov for their sojourn in Mitzrayim, where they, where they developed into the Am Yisroel, Hashem's eternal nation. Have a wonderful Shabbos.